When we sow good seed, we reap a better harvest. Now, we do have to account for all kinds of variables. There's the rain, the sun, the soil, a whole list of factors we don't always control. But setting all that aside, I think we can all agree that good seed has a better shot than bad at making it above ground. In today's passage, Jesus seems to affirm this, you reap what you sow, logic. Except here, he doesn't seem as interested in agricultural practices as he does in relational ethics. Because here, as throughout all of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is interested in how humanity relates to one another across all kinds of boundaries, economic ones, social ones, racialized ones, religious ones, you name it. Even more than this, though, throughout all of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus seems interested in how we understand and embrace his work, his mission from God, as our own. Now, if you're anything like I am, the word itself conjures up some residual ick. Whenever I hear mission, I automatically brace myself for a story of Christians doing clownery abroad. I feel my shoulders tense up thinking about how often the church has gotten the message and mission of Jesus just plain wrong. I mean, separation of indigenous children from their parents, the complete eradication of vulnerable cultures the perpetuation of harmful ethics, and the indoctrination of innocent bystanders. It's almost as if Christians completely misunderstood Jesus back in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. So let me get this straight. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Got it. Let me go break some spirits for you, God. Blessed are those who starve for a relationship with their Creator. Cool. Let me go set up some arbitrary boundaries of inclusion. Let me make them hungry for God's glory. I'm kind of joking, but this does seem to highlight a major difference between us now and them then. Because those Jesus speaks to in the text, those very first Jesus followers, they were the downtrodden the hungry, the improperly clothed, the malnourished. They were the ones relying on the kindness of strangers to provide for their own practical needs. They were the ones sent to spread the good news. The kind of people a lot of contemporary Christians might understand as our mission, they were the ones Jesus sent as messengers to proclaim, even though we don't look like much, God is with us. Death and shame have been buried for good, and only the love of Jesus can define us in this expansive, new, divine order. And where these low-status messengers, these little ones, as Jesus calls them, where they were welcomed, so too was the Spirit of Christ. And in some sort, of cosmic exchange, physical needs were met, spirits were lifted, and everyone involved wound up more certain 
that God was loving, faithful, that God was with them, leading all of creation back home. So how did we get where we find ourselves today? We started as this ragtag team of misfit disciples sent to expand the boundaries of God's inclusive kingdom. We were commissioned with relying on the kindness of strangers. So when did our appetites change? When did we start confusing the promise of cold water on a hot day with guarantees of an entirely comfortable life? Let's be real here. When did we decide that Jesus' mission was comparable to strategizing hypothetical, hatefully ignorant court cases all the way to the highest court in the land? Whew. Sitting, comparing the message Christians have been charged to spread with the practices of the church nowadays. I was feeling a lot like a lot of you look right now. Very angry. Definitely discouraged. Maybe even a baby bit disillusioned. But as I sat with that weight in one hand and the practice of hospitality in the other, slowly I started to hear the faintest, slinkiest horn. I think some of you know it. That dun 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 dun. And by the time I stood up from my desk, I knew, welcome and bienvenue, welcome, would be stuck in my head for the rest of the week. <laughs> my dog hated it. <laughs> but if anyone's seen Cabaret, you know it's not a great family movie night pick. <laughs> it's a heartbreaking story, really. It's set in Germany between the two world wars. The Nazi party is coming into power, but no one seems too worried. And so it opens with this deceptively upbeat number, welcoming everyone to the Kit Kat Club. And this eccentric MC exclaims, leave your troubles outside. So life is disappointing? Forget it. In here, life is beautiful. But anyone familiar with the full story knows that the MC's invitation isn't exactly what it seems. He's inviting us to something that seems fun and friendly, but there's a sinister undertone. In an interview, Joel Gray, the guy who originated the role, he called the character the great demonic betrayer. Because he's inviting these people who are suffering and disillusioned to come and self-medicate. With their country and chaotic instability, he's inviting them, come, objectify your neighbors, meet your own appetites. You want security, agency, and wholeness? Have a can-can number instead. The story set a hundred years ago almost, but it feels pretty familiar, especially for those of us who grew up around church folk because from where so many people stand and look at the body of Christ, it's hard to differentiate a lot of communities from the Kit Kat Club. You know, not in the lights or the fogs or the screens, but 
and how difficult it is to actually decipher who's actually welcome or what that welcome ultimately offers or practically entails. People who need loving, authentic community, people who need help to shoulder the burdens of their daily lives are just given a numbing agent to hold them over until eternity kicks in. Desperate, these people are used as resources, marketing props. They're chewed up and spit out like the soldiers in the painting on today's tapestry cover. Unfortunately, many communities communicate this vaudevillian imitation of the good news. Welcome, bienvenue. You too can be a spectator. You too may pay the price and join the audience. Your true needs won't be met, but I can promise you this, they'll be ignored. You know, we could really use someone like you to help us grow our numbers. Man, the welcome offered by so many Christians today is so unlike the kind that Jesus talks about. Because as you might have already sensed, Jesus in today's passage blurs the line between who's the sender and who's the receiver. To be fair, Jesus' disciples are the ones being sent within the narrative. But still, as Jesus continues becomes clear that he's now also communicating to Matthew's audience. He subtly shifts from addressing the disciples as those sent to implicitly reminding the audience, us included, to receive well all the prophets, to receive well the just, to receive well the little ones that God is sending our way. What this seems to suggest to me is that it's somewhere in this nucleus of that relationship between messenger and receiver where the Spirit dwells, where the Spirit speaks. It's in our symbiotic relationship with others where we come to know and love our three-in-one God more deeply. But it also seems to suggest that whenever the lowly, the losers, or the least of these, as Jesus called them in Matthew 25, whenever they're invited to lead the highborn, the elite, toward insight and integrity, whenever someone who's so beaten down by life stands up to speak hard words of truth, of hope, of healing, and whenever these words are heeded, you can be sure divine purpose and divine mission are starting to sprout. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. From Israel sheltering the rabble in the desert to a scrawny, music-loving shepherd boy becoming king. From the exiles in Babylon seeking the peace of their neighbors to the Messiah of all creation sleeping away in a barnyard. We know that the God Jesus reveals doesn't patronize or pay lip service to the weak. No, our God actually calls them and welcomes them. He deems them integral to the work of God even. The common English Bible translates verse 41 like this. 
Those who receive a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Considering stories of the prophets from Hebrew scripture, it seems that the only status or credential God required of them was humility and a sense of connection to God and to the people of God. Though these individuals had been uniquely chosen to deliver divine messages, they still saw themselves as part of the bigger picture. And the direction and peace and provision of God rested between them and those who took their messages seriously. So where does that leave us nowadays? I think it goes without saying, we're still responsible for sharing this good news that God's loving presence is at work throughout all creation. And how good to be a part of a community that does this kind of work, that sends people out so well. We've sent youth out to sing and serve and work alongside all kinds of folks in San Francisco. We've sent groups to Puerto Rico to support a local church community as it supports its territory's recovery. Just a few weeks ago, we journeyed all the way to Fair Park to affirm the divine image and purpose of all attendees of Dallas Pride. No conversion therapy required. Wilshire, the way our community envisions mission, it helps to wash away a little bit of that icky feeling I was talking about. And if you've ever participated in a gift donation drop-off or gone to sit with asylum seekers at the border or help serve meals at the stew pot, or travel to another hemisphere just to help administer vaccines, I know you too sensed some sort of divine presence. But if the trajectory of this divine presence throughout Scripture tells us anything, it's that we should never assume ourselves settled. We should never see ourselves as not needing to receive any new insight, any new revelation. We should never see ourselves only as those with something to give, lest we become eccentric MCs who welcome spectators to come, only to wind up betraying them. Because it was to a fairly established kingdom of Israel that God first sent prophets. It was to God's chosen people that God sent warnings. The moment that they replaced being a blessing to all nations with their own ideas of hoarding wealth and accruing power. God sent prophets the moment God's people became a burden to those society deemed unworthy or unfitinable. Whoever welcomes you welcomes Christ. But still, Let's never forget that the presence of God continues to rest on communities that take seriously the people God send their way. It's in the sending out and receiving that the full breadth of welcome is experienced. So as much as we need to spread the good news of God's unconditional love, we also need to make sure that we're training our ears to listen, to actually receive revelation as we continue to understand and embrace the mission of Jesus as our own, may we continue to affirm the divine image in those deemed unlovable by everyone else. 
may we take them seriously, not just as audience members or spectators, but as prophets, as leaders sent to guide us into the next chapter of God's great work in the world. When we welcome them, we welcome Christ. When we heed their voices and give them agency and the chance to give input, we attach ourselves fresh and again to God's restoration of all creation. Well, sure, we can't afford to warm up backstage until the slinky horn fades in. We've got a true, a good welcome to offer. Amen.